Like the 8th century prophets, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I have been disappointed with the white church and its leadership. Some have been outright opponents refusing to understand, misrepresenting our leaders. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. The Negro's great stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace which is the presence of justice. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I have heard numerous religious leaders of the South call upon their worshipers to comply with desegregation because it's the law. But I have longed to hear white ministers say, follow this decree because integration is morally right and the Negro is your brother. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like a mighty stream. You know, one of the most embarrassing things that consistently happened to me is missing the glaringly obvious points. It's embarrassing because I only need to pause long enough to listen and be faithful enough to trust that the people who know their own story know it better than I do. And if we're honest, we've all had those cringeworthy moments. But then what happens? Your heart palpitates a little bit, you get a little social anxiety, and then for me, I find myself performing mental gymnastics to show how I already knew that, I was already woke, I already saw it. Or I'll double down on my exact answer and say, it's not that I'm wrong, you just don't understand me. In other words, I lean in and I make it really awkward. Now this will tend to happen if when you hear us or someone talks about a we or a larger entity and you automatically assume it includes you, that should also be the first sign to tell you that you see yourself as naturally belonging to the dominant culture. So when we talk about naming, it's usually from outside of the expected us or we. It comes from the peripheral, it comes from the perspective of the margins, and it's there that the interpretation holds the divine potential to show us our blind spots. In fact, it, this happened while I was prepping this exact message. So I was going over with Megan and Carl, and as I presented how I was going to interact with Martin Luther King Jr.'s words and, and some of the content we were talking about, it became very theoretical and distant, because if I'm honest, my life generally belonged to mainstream for the most part. And with that, the rare moments of bigotry or abuse that I have experienced are other people's consistent narrative. And so I don't want to conflate our two stories. And I found myself using we language when my story didn't actually interact with that, that I would be part of the story that would be called whiteness. And at one point I used we when we were talking about whiteness and Carl stopped me and said, I should have used I. After all, it was my ancestors in whiteness, not ours, that lynched black bodies and failed to hear the poetic challenge of God in James Cone's voice when he said, until we can see the cross and the lynching tree together, 
until we can identify Christ with a re-crucified black body hanging from the tree, there can be no genuine understanding of Christian identity in America and no deliverance from the brutal legacy of slavery and white supremacy. You see, I have blood on my hands because I hold my ancestors and that these systems of whiteness have benefited me at the cost of black bodies. And then Cone goes on to name the reality. In the lynching era between 1880 to 1940, white Christians lynched nearly 5,000 black men and women in a matter which obviously echoes the Roman crucifixion of Jesus. Yet these Christians, because let's remember all, in all this time, especially in the South, the predominant religion would have been claimed to be Christian. They would have been at every religious festival. They would have been at every Sunday in the same way that they would gather around the lynching tree, did not see the irony or contradiction in their actions. Pause there. Again, these faithful did not see the irony or contradiction of Christians updating the cross for new bodies while missing the Christ swinging from the tree. This reality causes a visceral reaction in me because I actually want to distance myself from it at times, but I want this visceral response to be for the right reasons. Now, if the reaction is to the term whiteness or to defend America because those were different days, I mean, we've come so far, rather than hear the prophetic naming of Cone, then whiteness has blinded my eyes and deafened my ears. It could also mean I need for whiteness to be explained to me. I need another's voice to name what whiteness is. So let me give you a few really gifted people of color scholars. Dr. Willie Jennings says, Whiteness is not first a person or a people. It is a way of organizing life with ideas and forming a persons that distorts identity and strangles the possibility of dense life together. A way of being in the world and seeing the world that was formed in the colonial theater where only whiteness could speak the truth for people more accurately than people's own accounts of themselves which seduces people into inhabiting whiteness and agreeing with its meaning making. This is the reality that Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas also said is not marked by its uniquely creative and enriching social co contributions. Rather, it is distinguished by its ability to promote the sanctity of whiteness by devaluing that which is non-white. The reality being named formed the world which Martin Luther King was born into, marched against, and ultimately was killed by. I wouldn't have witnessed my complicity alone. It wasn't an intentional move. It's not like I sat there and said, oh, if, if only I could use my wha whiteness to erase history. But I needed the voices of Carl and Megan to name it for me, to offer their voices for my development so that I can move towards a better story. Placing my faith in their knowledge of their experience and the experience of the POC better than my own knowledge. Trusting that when they speak to bring me into community, to name the part of me and my mental schemes which keep me distant from a wider community, it is not to embarrass me or to accuse me. It is to move me towards the kind of believer I desire to be. To understand and embody the experience that Miguel de la Torre's words call us to when he says racism has nothing to do with my bias. Racism means complicity 
with the social structures that are racist. Liberation from these death-dealing social structures is both for the abused that are denied their humanity and for their abusers who own, whose own humanity is lost through their complicity with these same structures. And we can put misogyny in there. We can put nationalism in there. These life-stealing structures. I wasn't intentionally removing myself. I was acting the systemic narrative. Hmm. Blip. That's going to be an edit. I wasn't intentionally removing myself. I was enacting the systemic narrative built on erasing the sins of my people, performed against the challenges to whiteness. This is why today we will speak about naming, about allowing voices from the margins to challenge common sense understandings of culture and to provoke us out of apathy. And in this, I use us intentionally here. Because as Megan pointed out to me, Racism as complicity means it is often reinforced by other people of color who have internalized the narrative of being devalued. I benefit from the blood spilt to build the system, but only we, following Dr. Miguel, can bury white supremacy and resurrect a badass Christianity. So the violence of waiting will move from Amos through Martin Luther King Jr., his letter from Birmingham, where he was jailed by a complicit response to white supremacy, and it was enabled by the apathetic response from those standing around. And then look towards some of the new voices that are giving life to this call. See, Dr. King was born into a world consuming the lives of our POC brothers and sisters. And like Paul, he was compelled by the love of Christ to turn America upside down, saying, just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, he too was compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. And I would say it was a freedom defined by the prophet Amos, siding with those who could not get their day in court, against those who laid heavy taxes on the poor. It was not a neutral freedom. MLK continued, I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. This was a demand for a this world justice. He named the black reality of the inability to get justice in court, of the inability to find out who kept bombing their churches, of the inability to find out who was murdering their people. He named the black reality to restore the humanity, recognizing the Imago Dei of the oppressed and ultimately the oppressor as well. So now let's step back into Amos, the 8th century MLK. And let's listen to some of the words that he was quoting. In Amos 5.1 it says, Listen to this funeral song I'm ready to sing about you, family of America. Because you impose heavy rent on the poor and take a tribute of grain from them, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, the prophet sings a funeral song because the marginalized are abused, which hinders justice and righteousness for the poor. Justice and righteousness in this, or misfat and sadiq, they're relational terms. So misfat, were the decrees of the elders made at the city gate, and the city gate would be understood 
as their court of law, their place of power where the known and the affluent would gather around to make rules. And these rules were supposed to be representative of God's legal system that would call to delimit the powerful and to elevate the oppressed. Sadiq is a term denoting doing right by somebody. It cannot be used as an abstraction. We can't be righteousness as a state of being. I can only be righteous too, because this verb needs an object. The legal systems could not just be an abstract righteous, but had to be righteous for those who would not be heard at the city gate. The prophetic judgment came because business as usual allowed heavy rent or starvation wages to be inflicted upon the poor. Yet those comfortable in this system still continued to celebrate their religious festivals with noisy songs played by tone-deaf harps. They didn't see the irony in celebrating the God of the Exodus while social injustices fueled a system set up to hear slave masters before the disinherited, a system perpetuated by people who are more in love with the law and order than their neighbors' lives. Amos' call was not to embrace or excuse the violence of waiting. It was not a call to patience. Amos sided with the oppressed, with the socially marginalized, with the poor. As he spoke truth to power, he named the reality and said, hate evil, love good, by establishing justice, by establishing misfought in the gates, in the court of law, in the place that protects them. Amos would have marched with Black Lives Matter and would have stood shoulder to shoulder with MLK. The courts that opposed both Dr. King and Amos were filled with the good people who would be first to join the celebration of God at the festivals. MLK discovered the problem with naming was not theoretical agreement. It was the willingness to sacrifice to actually live into the reality that upsets the system by bringing justice for those without power. Like Amos, he desired to create tension which forced the, those comfortable with the status quo to have to face those paying the cost for their comfort. Let's hear MLK's words. I have been disappointed with the white church and its leadership. Some have been outright opponents refusing to understand, misrepresenting our leaders. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the Athenizing security of stained glass windows. You deplore the demonstrations that are presently taking place, but I am sorry that your statement did not express a similar concern for the conditions that brought the demonstrations into being. Go beyond the superficial social analyst who looks merely as effects and grapple with the underlying causes. Could this not have been said in 2020? And he goes on, you warmly commend keeping order and preventing violence. I don't believe you would if you had seen angry violent dogs biting unarmed non-violent blacks. If you would observe their ugly and inhuman treatment. I would take that even a step farther. If you would observe, if you would see, says, if you experience it, it only becomes real once I have that experience. But the act of naming is trying to say, will you trust? Will you have faith in their story? Will you trust their experience? So it does not have to be my experience before I can say I'll stand in solidarity. And this act of saying it only matters once I can observe it 
is why we have so many people that keep needing to say the names of George Floyd and Tamir Rice. It is this is why hashtag say their names is still active in 2021, adding the name of Patrick Warren on January 10th, who was murdered. Naming is the act of amplifying the voices from the margins, like Amos and Dr. King did as they stood in solidarity with those abused, which will make everyone who is comfortable with the status quo uncomfortable because they must face, they must witness the injustice. It asks everyone who hears the naming, will you trust their experience? Naming echoes the call of Martin Luther King. The question is not whether we'll be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? What will our reaction be to this naming? Will we become extremists for hate or will we be extremists for love? Will we be the extremists for the preservation of injustice or be extremists for the cause of justice? If we do this, if we place our faith in humanity as God did when he was incarnate, then we will see justice and righteousness flow as we will realize the dream of MLK updated by Dr. Miguel Torre. We will bury wh whiteness and resurrect a badass Christianity. The decolonization of a liberating faith expression intended to upset the prevailing social order designed to maintain the status quo. A commitment to a radical solidarity with the oppressed, realizing that no one can ever be saved as long as the poor continue to be damned by our current economic and legal structures. A rejection of laws and regulations made mainly by men, especially white men, which trespass upon basic human rights of all. We'll become disruptive and revolutionary, overturning the temple's tables of oppressors, calling BS on religious hypocrisy, sacrificing all, even one's life or security, for the sake of justice. Such a Christianity can arise only from the margins of society, among those who are disenchanted, disheartened, and discouraged with the normative and subjective Eurocentric virtues expounded in a white Christianity. And this naming these actions will happen until justice rolls down like a river and righteousness like an everlasting stream.